Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Taylor Neiman, who's the co-founder and CEO of Toucan, the free Chrome extension that helps you learn a language without even trying. In this episode, we go through a wide variety of topics, including her recent fundraising of $3 million, how she decided to start Toucan, how she's built this team, and her co-founders, Brandon Dietz and Sean Merritt. The Own the Word campaign, which is a really unique way of growing Toucan. We go through that as well. How she prioritizes strategic partnerships. She has a ton of experience in biz dev and strategic partnerships from companies like FAIR, Headspace, and Science. And we go through how Taylor recharges outside of work and so much more in this episode. As always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast, where you can get links to things mentioned in this episode. And you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Hawk Media, a full-service outsourced CMO based in Santa Monica, California, providing guidance, planning, and execution to grow brands of all sizes, industries, and business models. Hawk Media is recognized by Inc. as one of the fastest-growing marketing consultancies, and their collaborative process, a la carte offering, and month-to-month fee structure give clients the flexibility they need to boost digital revenues and marketing ROI. Hawk Media, the company, has serviced over 1,500 brands of all sizes, ranging from startups like Tomorrow Melon, SIO Beauty, and Bottle Keeper, to household names like Red Bull, Verizon Wireless, and Alibaba. And also, I had the founder and CEO of Hawk Media, Eric Huberman, on the podcast in episode number 23, if you want to take a listen. And to get a free consultation, head on over to hawkmedia.com and be sure to mention Just Go Grind. Without further ado, here is Taylor Neiman, co-founder and CEO of Toucan, which you can find at jointoucan.com. Taylor, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Justin. How are you doing today? Doing great and glad to have you on here and talk about Toucan. And obviously, you just raised a $3 million round. So congrats on that to start with. Um, what I want to know, though, is how did you decide to start Toucan in the first place? Such a good question. So we started Toucan a little more than 12 months ago now. Um, when we had the idea, we pushed out the first version. It was so ugly. It was beautiful. Um, but it really stemmed from all of our experiences within consumer tech in Los Angeles. Um, we've worked at some of the best companies here from Headspace to Fair to Prey. And we learned all about habit formation, consumer behavior, but also how hard it is to steal time from people's life that Absolutely. we decided like when we were approaching the space of how do we get people to learn new things and learn new things every single day, we wanted to layer on top of existing behaviors and meet people where they already are. And so that's how we landed on a browser extension as our first product vertical. And Taylor, they always talk about, you hear like about you know founder product or founder market fit. Why this space for you specifically? Yes. So us three, as co-founders, we knew we wanted to not only build a massive business, but something that impacted the world so positively. Um, And I think us being very early at Headspace, we saw how this could actually come to fruition. And we wanted to make sure when we were founding something and building something for ourselves, we were not only solving something for us, but also something that was going to impact the world on a wide basis. And what better thing to work on than education and getting people to learn things and just the ripple effects and the potential of solving this type of problem 
are just massive. Yeah, to be able to make a big impact and actually help people through the business you're doing, not just <laughs> not to knock anyone else, but other companies where you maybe you're selling advertising or something else, it's a different model. It's just to me, it's never been as exciting as something that directly impacts people through the business itself that you're running. Like that seems like it'd be a, such a worthwhile goal. And you mentioned we a couple times here. Like, how did you and the, the your co-founders meet? Yes. So my two co-founders are so talented in what they do. I met Brandon Dietz, who's leading product for us within Headspace. And he was also at Riot Games prior to that. Um, So we were together in the trenches, growing and scaling that company. Um, He led all things product. I worked on the organic distribution side and we just became fast friends. And that was close to seven years ago now. And then Sean, who's leading engineering for us, I met him with Insights Incubator. He was the first employee at a company called Prey, um, was actually homeschooled to become their first employee, <laughs> uh, decided to scale that company past Series B and just never went to college. And I met him because I would pitch him every idea I had and he would give me feedback, not think too much of it. But <laughs> I would give him access to my code base and he'd be like, wow, Taylor, you can actually code. This is amazing. So we would jam on different ideas and then he jumped over to FAIR right before SoftBank injected a mere $350 million into the company. <laughs> yeah, and just so that. I followed him right after. And then we scaled that rocket ship together too. Take me through those those conversations with the, with your co-founders on how you decided to to work together that you really want to pursue this together because that's something that so many people I've talked to that are trying to start something or thinking about it, that's finding your co-founders and, and then agreeing to work on something is, is is a big deal. I mean, how do you how those conversations go with you and your co-founders around this company you want to start? To your point, it's a massive deal. And this is actually the fourth company I've tried to start, but it's the first one is venture backed. And I think just the evolution on my co-founder side is a big testament to having people that are way smarter than you, but also talented and provide those holes that you don't have, like product engineering, like there are two masters in those domains and I'm a master in distribution. So the three of us coming together is almost a a dream team combination, but not only like are they experts in their domains, but I've seen them in the ground level in these high growth tech environments. And I trust them, I respect them in their domains, but also as friends. And I think that's something that's very unique to us as a founding team. And to your point of uh, the master of distribution of sorts that, that you have, I mean, you've been business development and strategic partnerships at like a thousand different companies, basically. Uh, from that experience, how did you look at you know kind of the distribution side of Toucan and how are you going to get the word out for for your current company here? Yes, this is one of my favorite things to work on on a daily basis. So really looking, how do we scale Toucan without paid acquisition? There's a lot of channels we're testing out right now. Um, we're working closely with Google, Google Education Team, Google Chromebook Team. Like I never had a Chromebook in school, but now kids um, K-12 high school have Chromebooks. So what does it look like to get Toucan installed across all the Chromebook universe? Um, and in addition to that, we recently launched this feature called own the word and we thought it was a very fun play on like learning a language 
one thing that you have to learn for sure is vocabulary. And one of our core teaching techniques are all of these inline translations. So what would it look like for someone, an individual or a company to own these words? And so right now you can actually own a word within Toucan, share it out to your audiences. We're working on so many different types of partnerships from music labels that are trying to help their artists promote their music, upcoming films with film studios, um, LA tech companies that are trying to get their brand out there, but also just friends, family, um, people, Toucan users that want to purchase these words. And we've been growing fairly organically, 100% month over month to date from this Own the Word campaign. Besides the Own the Word campaign, what other channels or what other things are you testing on that side? Because I'm always I'm always obsessed with distribution and how people are, are growing their companies because there's so many ways to go about it and how you prioritize that. It matters a lot in terms of your company. What else are you looking at in terms of distribution? Yep. So some of the major partnerships we're looking at are all these existing major um, language learning players, education players, like how can we accelerate all of those learnings within Toucan? Because if you're diving deep in opening an app or going to a website or watching videos or a classroom, that is amazing. But we can also take those learnings on a weekly basis or even on a daily basis and pair that up with while you're browsing with Toucan. Um, so those are a lot of the big brands that you know with massive audiences that we're working through right now. Um, we've also seen a really strong um, scaling playbook through teachers. Like teachers are looking for new ways to engage their students, um, especially given COVID. And we've had like a fairly great inbound. And now we're looking at how do we reach them on the outbound side. Yeah, the combination of the two is so important, and getting both. And 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 I saw on Twitter that you recently crossed twenty thousand active installs, and uh, you were you're on Product Hunt, one of like the top products of of the week when you when you were on there. And even with the recent you know, like TechCrunch feature for for having the, the your new raise, how have those types of things impacted your growth? And how do you leverage those to uh, you know take advantage of those big spikes? I'm curious about that. Yeah. So the they're good and bad right because as you mentioned they're big spikes but what we're looking for is sustainable playbooks that we continue to scale so we definitely try to amplify them but we don't try to lean in heavily into these one spikes because we can't replicate them over time um so to as far as like our internal prior is still super small team so we're looking okay What's a potential channel? Let's see how we can test it out. If it works, great. If it doesn't, no. Um, but these in-between, like, it was amazing to be um, the, one of the top products on Product Hunt. We got a lot of users through that, but not sustainable in the long term. Yeah, and on that note, so one of my one of my favorite marketers who I had in the show, Rand Fishkin, who started Moz and now he's running Spark Toro. Uh, he's talked about a lot, like with with flywheels and marketing flywheels, and kind of had this uh, systems and tactics you you implement that that over time less friction on the flywheel and can have better results. Uh, what is kind of the flywheel of sorts for Toucan in terms of things you're kind of doing repeatedly that you can get that you know, sustainable growth? I'm I'm curious as to those as well. I think the most obvious one is own the word. Like the moment someone purchases a word, shares it to their network, now their entire network sees Toucan, sees that you can own the word, they come into our funnel, then they either purchase a word or just download Toucan and become a super fan, and then they share it out to their audience. And 
over 80% of our growth right now is just word of mouth referrals, like people telling other people telling other people about Toucan. And we're measuring it because I'm really emailing users every single <laughs> day. Like, How did you hear about Toucan? What feedback do you have? But also within the extension itself, we ask like, how, how did you hear about Toucan? And so we're collecting that data and word of mouth has been our one of the biggest drivers today. And on that note, Taylor, you mentioned kind of you know, talking to your users and emailing your users. How are you uh, implementing that in terms of how you iterate on the product itself, what language to, languages to offer, et cetera? I'm curious that, that too. Yes. Um, so asking all these questions every single day, we even have a Slack group that we created just for our new users to come on board, getting feedback there, bug reports. Um, <laughs> it's consistent. We really look at these patterns. So is this feature being requested over and over again um, for then us to prioritize accordingly, as well as the bugs that get reported? Like what is really going to move the needle for Toucan? Um, so we're looking at the patterns overall, but then we're a fast team. Like a lot of these feedback or requests for features are being like asked a week ago and then implemented <laughs> in that next sprint. Yeah, that's very impressive. And as a startup, that's that's important as you kind of figure out what what the product needs to be uh, based on your users. And and just going back to you know raising three million dollars in funding, I want to go dive a little bit deeper on the fundraising side of this. Take me through the initial time you raised funds for Toucan. How did that go? How did you get started with that process? Yeah, so once we had the idea, I started building relationships with investors, not just um, seed investors, but also Series A investors, because the relationship side has always been so important to us because we intend to scale Toucan significantly and produce a lot of returns. So we want to make sure we're constructing our cap table in a very strategic way. Uh, but that not only is that great for us as a team, but also these investors get to see us on day one, share really the vision for where we see this becoming. But then through all of those months, they can see us executing and really delivering on what we said we were going to do. And so those make that makes those conversations once we want to fundraise way easier. Um, we've closed um, our rounds in less than three weeks, which is Fairly fast. Yeah. Um, but it's due to a lot of inbound interest, but also us intentionally building these relationships over time. And just to be a little more granular on that for the other entrepreneurs out there who are fundraising right now or thinking about that happening soon, you know, we hear about building relationships with VCs. I mean, what are some of those things uh, on a week to week basis you were you were doing to kind of continue that and figure out who you wanted to reach? Because if someone goes on tech Twitter and finds VCs, there's so many of them. And there's all, I'm just curious on how you went about that process, Taylor. Yes. So other founders asking them for warm intros for investors they love and trust that are on their cap tables um, and meeting investors that way. Like I did not, the few other startups I created, I did try to reach out cold and re receive zero. <laughs> Although my cold emails are always so good, especially on the partnership side. So I just shifted to these warm intros from fellow founders, trying to speak with founders, get them excited about what we were building, and then at the end, ask for introductions. Yeah, the warm intros, definitely need, definitely need those way, way better in terms of VCs. And everyone you talk to will, will say that for the most part. Um, and on the note of uh, the company itself, so with Toucan, what's the business model behind Toucan? 
Yes, so we have a freemium subscription with content inside or outside the paywall where you pay to unlock the entire learning library. We'll also be integrating microtransactions. So what does it look like for to purchase um, a negligible amount for um, additional teaching techniques, learning techniques, vocabulary lists, um, something else that might not sit behind the subscription paywall. And we also are monetizing Own the Word, although that's mostly a growth strategy for us. And you mentioned the other the other kind of companies you had started previously. Why was this one the, why was this one different in terms of uh, you know you had to raise funding for this, the other ones you you didn't. Like why the why the difference for you? I think a good example is like the third company I tried to start, Lancer, was with one of my now current day co-founders, Brandon Dietz. Um, we pitched a hundred investors and every one of them hated the idea <laughs> and tore it apart, but they loved us as a team. Um, so even though we weren't able to raise funds, we were able to start building those relationships, which then set us up well for Toucan later, two years later. Um, so it's kind of playing the long game and actually one of the investors, Wonder Ventures, um, who were the most critical um, of that concept to us, to our group, <laughs> were actually one of the first investors to jump on board for Toucan. It's it's crazy to have that experience and then you go through and realize it's not, you know, it's not you guys, it's just the the current thing you're working on and having that yeah, mental toughness per se to just try again in a different thing. I'm curious as to how you were you were you salty about any of that with these past investors that said no, and then you're like, well, I have this new company, but I don't know. How do you think about that? No, I actually I had never asked for venture capital, and I was completely new to that process then, so it was really a learning experience for us in general. And I am probably one of the most competitive people out there. So even if someone's telling me no, I'm going to try to find a way until we to until we realize why it might not work. Um, and we're able to prove our idea right or wrong based off of tests. And so I was definitely not salty at all and more like <laughs> if we can prove them wrong. Um, but then once we realized it actually wasn't going to pan out, um, putting it to bed and just taking all those learnings for that next time around. One of the things I'm thinking about right now, because you mentioned this a little while ago, uh, one, you being very good at cold emails and still having no's from these investors. But to that point of having this experience with strategic partnerships, I mean, this is something that businesses of all of all sizes need to understand and kind of uh, can implement. Like, how do you, just from a high level, I guess, look at strategic partnerships, uh, how you want to approach it, prioritize within companies, because you've done it across so many different companies. Like, how do you look at that? What's like the first step? Yeah. So I look at, okay, what channels do we want to test and who are some of the companies or partners we can reach out to, to see if this even works um, and then iterate based off of that. But even before reaching out, like the strategy, like why are we reaching out to them? What value can we bring? Because whenever I've been building these partnerships, we're the small little company without <laughs> with no brand name yet with a yeah. very small audience. So like, what can we bring to these giants? And what value do they need um, that we could potentially bring to them? And so once I've kind of figured that out, then it's all about LinkedIn stalking. Like who is that <laughs> decision maker probably in the C-suite that will actually allow us to move forward with this? Um, it's pretty easy to figure out someone's email address nowadays. And then just making sure that the email makes sense and that value you want to bring forward is the primary thing you're asking for um, versus like, 
what, what, how you would potentially benefit. And to that point, I mean, how does a small company or like a newer one uh, partner up with these, big, these bigger companies? How can they portray their story or their value prop or what are some things they could think about? Because uh, on, the, on the surface, it may be like, well, there's nothing we can offer. Uh, how do you just think through that with, with the different companies you've been at before? Well, I can give some examples. So for instance, when I was at Headspace, looking at airlines as a potential um, partnership vertical for us, because people are stuck in their seat for countless hours. Um, airline has a ton of people playing around with their in-flight entertainment consoles. They have a lot of movies, a lot of TV shows, potentially music, but do they have something in there that could teach their um, passengers a new skill and really turn dead time into useful time? And we thought, what better way than to have headspace meditation exercises in these in-flight entertainment consoles? And so reached out to one airline to understand, okay, what does this like funnel look like? What are they going to say? Does this even make sense for us? Is this helping Headspace scale organically? And then once we locked in one airline and it was working, then going after every single channel. Yeah, and then you can just leverage that for other ones. And and that's a good example, and I appreciate you sharing that. As you look to, you've grown this company, obviously, and you you've, you've, you have your co-founders who started, but then how have you gone about growing your team? What have you been looking for on the team side of things as you've grown Toucan? Yeah, so this piece is so important to us because having all these experience in high growth companies, you've seen the good, bad, and the ugly. And it really comes down to the team. And I think that's one of our most strategic competitive advantages. Um, The majority of us have already worked together. Um, We're about to be 11 full-time employees and we'll pretty much stay there. But five of them were some of the original team members at Headspace, which is so cool to see (laughs) full circle, like people that we worked together seven years ago that we've known through this whole time now coming to help us build Toucan. And three of them are from FAIR, our time there. And not even just as employees, like the founder of Headspace, Um, is an investor in Toucan. So is the founder of Prey, which is Sean's old boss. Um, And so I think it's like these relationships and tech is such a small world that (laughs) not only will you find co-founders in these companies, you will find your first employees, but also your future investors. Taylor, right now with the business and where it stands, just raised, having just raised these funds of $3 million, what are you focused on right now? What are your kind of your challenges you're, you're trying to solve at the moment? Recently um, solved the challenge of team. Um, so now we're 11 full-time employees, hand recruited all of them, and we have it locked and loaded. So now we'll just be onboarding the last few of them. Um, and that really shifts my priorities over to distribution. Like let's scale Toucan because we know we've hit product market fit based off of user feedback, talking to users, how we're growing 100% month over month, but also our intention and engagement metrics are looking close to world-class, so we know we don't have a leaky bucket. And people just are not aware yet that a product like Toucan exists in the world. So how do we get them aware of it so that we can then continue to double down on this growth we're seeing? On a, on a kind of high level, I know we've talked about this a little bit already, and I just want to drill down because I think it is kind of <laughs> so important in terms of looking at growth. Uh, you mentioned kind of the different channels and the products you create already with uh, owning, owning the word, which, which is great. How do you prioritize then 
new products that have potential for Toucan in terms of the product itself helping to grow and even just new offerings? Like, How are you prioritizing these as you, as you move forward? It's such a good question. So prioritization is one of the things I'm working through right now and honestly being ruthless with my time and what I'm focusing on um, and really drilling down what is moving the needle for Toucan and then keeping those three biggest priorities. Um, having smaller tests go so we in the background so we know what is potentially we could work, but yeah. it's just me and one other team member of mine working on distribution. So we need to keep it focused, straightforward, and just put all of our resources into what's moving that that needle. And for you, how did, if at all, did COVID affect Toucan and everything you're doing here? Yeah. So it didn't necessarily affect us because of our thesis. Like we were already layering on top of existing behaviors. So we didn't have to ask people for time out of their very, very busy days. But what was interesting to see is that weekends, we usually saw a natural dip because people were out and about. Um, But during this time, like we see the same amount of usage of Toucan um, because people are mostly indoors. Yeah, it's interesting to see the the change with COVID and how it affects all different businesses. And obviously, so many of them have been struggling, right, with with the situation. depends on what type they are. And even behaviors you wouldn't necessarily – think of like, oh, podcasting or like even Quibi when they launched. Uh, that's <laughs> terrible in terms of how they are thinking through with with uh, with, with COVID. But uh, everyone, you can thrive depending on a situation and adapting to it. And it's all comes down to really just user behavior. And what are people actually doing on a day-to-day basis? And that impacts uh, the business and everything as well. With, with you and making these decisions and trying to figure out the direction, how do you end up like taking a step back and, and recharging and just taking a step away from work, which can be so difficult for founders. How do you do that, Taylor? This is also something I'm working through, but I'm getting really good at it. So I've time blocked my entire calendar. Um, so I know in the morning, 6am, I'm actually going outside for a walk to have that sunshine hit my face and wake me up. And I know that I have a dip of productivity between 2 to 3 p.m. So I'm also going outside for a walk during that time. Um, I'm making sure at nighttime I'm squeezing in some exercise and also having some break away from my computer mobile device for (laughs) bigger thinking, strategic um, planning, creativity sessions, and then also having a time for reflection because you can do all the things in the world but if you're not taking 10 minutes I actually think okay what worked well what didn't today on a weekly basis monthly basis then you're really not learning from everything that's happening yeah that's the whole idea of working in your business versus working on your business and and taking that time is so important it's it's actually eerie how close my schedule of walks is to yours by the way Yeah, I like literally today was, uh, I think it's uh, between 6 or 6.30 because the, the coffee bean by my place opens at 6. So I'm typically there and walk there every morning. And then same thing in the afternoon. I'm like, the only thing that kind of recharges is either like a short nap of 20 minutes or just going for a walk outside in the sunshine and very similar time frame. So uh, that's that's just strange to me. You said the same times. Um, and with that too, as you as an entrepreneur multiple times now, first venture back uh, company though, what have been the most valuable resources, like books that have been impactful for you along your journey so far? Um, for sure, venture deals. So every single founder should have this book and read it. It was my Bible during the fundraise because 
a lot of these terms are so foreign to founders, um, but investors talk in these terms every single day. So they already have that advantage of having the lingo locked down and making sure you can communicate and understand um, instantly what they're saying, like gives you the best chance at making sure you have the terms that you really want for your company. Yeah, actually my mic right now, I'm standing and it's on my desk and it's on three books and one being venture deals. So that's kind of funny that you mentioned that one. It's a good one for sure. And and one thing I'm curious about with with your career so far, you've you've been at startups for a number of years, a number of different ones. Where did that interest in tech, interest in startups come from, Taylor? Yes. So I've always had so many different ideas. Um, Growing up in college, I never thought engineering was really a path for me until someone introduced it to me in college. And I was like, they're like, you know, you can build all these ideas yourself if you want. I was like, wait, really? And so I just soaked up everything I could find across Google, but mostly YouTube, like YouTube was my engineering teacher. And I taught myself how to code to be able to build any of these ideas and honestly, just be dangerous enough to then be able to recruit all these way smarter engineers who this was their true profession, like Sean. (laughs) Um, And it, it worked because then I could test out the idea once I had it, get feedback from it. Um, And I just noticed like the other companies I joined, they were absolutely amazing learning grounds for me. But if you look at my my LinkedIn, I'm probably not employable really right now. (laughs) I jumped from company, not to company, but company to start my own thing to then joining another company to then start my own thing. And so I learned so much from each of those experiences, but I really learned it, uh, joined them as a way to learn as much as humanly possible in order to set up whatever company I was going to build for success. How did you decide on the companies you end up joining when you when you did go from your own thing to other companies? How are you choosing these? Because I mean, obviously, you've worked at some pretty notable companies with Headspace and Fair and even Science as well. Like, how did you decide on that? I wanted to make sure that I loved the product and what was happening, and I also wanted to join fairly early to really see that hockey stick growth. What the heck happens? Um, and I honestly, Headspace was such um a lucky find because I had friends who were using the product and they're always ahead of the trend. Um, and once I tried it for myself, I was like, this is amazing. I need to join this company. And I just figured out who the recruiter was. I didn't, there wasn't even any job posting for my relevant skill set. And I got in front of them and somehow they hired me. Um, so I was like so thankful to be able to join them um, and soak everything up. Yeah, I mean, what an experience to, to be able to have that, especially early on, and then the growth they've had through their Series A, through their Series B, uh, to be able to experience that, I imagine, was was great for you. And and as a as a founder, like now with being in your your own company for more than a year now, how what are the differences for you in terms of uh, being in your own company versus being at a number of these different startups? Uh, I mean, did you just inevitably think you would have your your own thing? I, I'm just really curious about that. I knew that I wanted. Uh, my own company one day for sure like definitely working on that always had all of these different ideas Um, I also knew that 
I would bet on myself any day of the week to be able to build anything. That's where the competitiveness comes through. But also like, especially with these two co-founders next to me, like would bet on this team um, to be able to build anything that comes of fruition and success. Um, but what, how it's so different on the employee side versus the founding side is there is major responsibility as a founder. Um, you have to make sure you don't run out of cash so that you can keep all these employees with salaries and employed who have families that they need to support. Um, And that is like a major responsibility that I don't take lightly, as well as um, what I'm promising our stockholders that we're going to deliver on and making sure we actually back up what we say. Um, Because like we're taking a significant amount of money in order to (laughs) build our dream company um, and all these major numbers and venture capital, like you see it across the press. So you kind of get numb, but like $3 million is not pocket change. Um, yeah. to me, and I don't take that lightly. Yeah, no, that's, that's a very, very good point because that was actually brought up recently. Uh, another interview I did where they had raised their initial capital and it was like 150,000. They were just like, wait, what? Someone gave us 150,000? Like, this is insane. But like now you see the headlines that are, oh, this company raises 10 million, raises 8 million, raises 20 million. And to your point, you do get kind of numb to it where you're like, oh yeah, of course, that's what people raise. But when you actually have that, I mean, it's a lot of money to manage and, you know, resource allocation with that. Exactly. And making sure you're being smart about it because at the end of the day, you want the companies to succeed and you don't want to burn all the, the cash in month one. And so how do you allocate the capital to ensure you're set up for that next fundraise or that next milestone, whatever that might be? Yeah. And kind of on that same note and taking just a step back to the beginning of the company, uh, obviously you don't have to go through numbers, but I'm curious as to how the conversations went around equity and how you approach that with your founders. Cause there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of opinions on it, but I'm just curious as someone who you went through it for the first time with this company, I, I imagine, cause you just the first time you raised venture capital. What were those conversations like? What helped you in terms of determining equity with, with the founders? Yeah, so this was a no-brainer for me. We're all equal partners. And I think as you're looking to build something with other people for the long term, aligning incentives is very important. But although I'm the CEO of Toucan, they are very much um, equal partners um, from the CPO, CTO. Like every idea we've had, especially from the beginning, it's we're bouncing off of each other and that what that's what makes toucan so great it's not just me leading this is the idea it's like collaborating getting all these amazing minds together um and so for us that was a very easy conversation um but i can totally understand how that might be um a difficult conversation for others but i also think it's one that needs to be knocked out right away yeah, early on, the earlier the better. And even with work, working with then investors, you mentioned venture deals, which is a great book. I mean, anything particular that was helpful for you from that, or just from other people that you took away from the time that you were fundraising for other entrepreneurs out there who are fundraising? Uh, any other insights you have around that? Yeah. So understanding all the lingo. So what is pre-money, post-money? What are all the different in- instruments you could potentially raise off of? How does that impact you long term? Um, I think also something that entrepreneurs don't realize is investors have bosses too. 
right? Um, So they're fundraising from LPs, limited partners, and they have the fiduciary duty to be getting X percent in whatever um, company they invest in. And so you can basically back of the napkin understand, okay, if we're raising X amount, we're then going to have to most likely give up X percent. And yeah. we're doing that math to understand what you feel comfortable dilution wise um, before you're going into the fundraise, I think is important and aligning that too with your co-founders. Yeah, definitely, definitely important to understand that and have those conversations. And it really comes down to communication between the co-founders and investors uh, when you're going through this process. Again, going back to the number of people I've interviewed who have raised you know tens of millions of dollars over time, some around you know, Series B, Series C, etc. And it is that conversation you have with people. And then later on, it becomes more around the metrics in terms of your raising as you kind of go on to other rounds, but especially early on, the initial ones too. Having those conversations to understand these things and what they actually they actually mean is, is so important. And as you look back on this last this year or so, I mean, what has been maybe the, your your biggest lesson or takeaway or anything you want to share around this journey with with other entrepreneurs? Um, setting yourself up with the team, going first co founding side and then your initial team is so important because this is really like anyone can really have an idea. It comes down to execution. Um, and so making sure you're hiring right, filling those those roles, because, I mean, we've we're, we interviewed so many people before you make a hire and there's so many talented people, but they might not be culture ads to the company. And so getting that right balance is important. Um, and then also just prioritizing, like having your big vision, but also knowing what you're focusing day to day to move that needle, because we have a massive vision for Toucan, but we're also starting small to start, right? We're a Chrome extension teaching languages, but eventually this could to teach you whatever subject you want or even be layered on top of mobile or audio or voice or even the physical world. Um, so I think that's really important. Well, just going a little bit deeper on that, I mean, you mentioned already some components of of the, the big vision for this, but uh, I would love to hear more about how you're thinking through the, the big vision for Toucan and what it what you want it to actually be is it could be a lot of different things. Uh, but in your mind and with your team, like how are you thinking about like what you actually want this, the grand scheme of things, like what's the big thing you want Toucan to become? Okay. So we're on the path to building an iconic education company. And where that really boils down to is two different verticals. Um, so one of those verticals is the content side. So right now we're laser focused on languages. But with all of the tech we're building, it now allows us to integrate other types of content. So you can imagine we can service uh, history or science or math or sports trivia or really whatever <laughs> you want to learn and sear into your long-term memory. And so that's from the content vertical side, but then also from the product vertical side, um, still with our thesis of layering on top of the existing behaviors, um, dominating the web to start, and then starting to lay, lay the groundwork for mobile. Like what does Toucan look like layered on top of the most popular social apps, messaging apps, maybe even browsing behavior there. Um, a world where everyone's walking around with AirPods for audio or commuting. What does Toucan for audio look like? Um, or voice with Google or, or Alexas in your home or cars. 
But even just walking around in the physical world and you see a subway station sign or a restaurant menu and you may be wearing snap spectacles or cooler <laughs> glass or maybe even just the camera of your phone and that triggers micro moments of learning just walking around so many applications for it and uh, one of the final questions i want to ask about real quick because this is a small thing but also a big thing in many ways if you look at it how did you come up with the name toucan yes so i love naming companies and this was very intentional so a few different reasons. One, we definitely knew we wanted a mascot. Um, so Toucan being an animal was a great check for that. Um, toucan being a bird that hovers, we are hovering on top of behaviors. So that fit perfectly. We were also starting with languages, birds travel all around the world. Toucan kind of sounds like you can, which is from a learning perspective. <laughs> But also, too, phonetically sounds like you um, in many different languages, like French, Spanish, Portuguese. So we thought that was a key play, in, play on words as well. All the things fitting together into, it seems like, the perfect name. Well done, Taylor. Well done on that. And Taylor, where can people go to learn more about Toucan, get started with it, and also connect with you if they want as well? Yes. So go ahead and download Toucan completely for free at jointoucan.com. Um, if you have any feedback or just want to say, hey, you can email me at taylor.neiman at jointoucan.com or hit me up on Twitter at taylor underscore Neiman. Perfect. I'll be sure to link everything we discussed in this episode as well in the show notes at justgogrind.com slash podcast. Everyone check out Toucan. Of course, Taylor, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Of course. Thank you so much, Justin. I really appreciate you having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you. Justgrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.